After 12 years of preparation, the Qatar Football World Cup is set to begin on November the 20th. Millions will be glued to it. But the build-ups generated extraordinary responses. Have a listen to this video just released. We have learned that progress has been made both on paper and in practice. The kafala system has largely been dismantled, working conditions have improved, and a minimum wage has been established. Whilst the reforms established in Qatar are an important and welcome step, their implementation remains inconsistent and requires improvement. We have learned the decision to host the World Cup in Qatar has resulted in the suffering and in the harm of countless of our fellow workers. These migrant workers who have suffered are not just numbers. Like the migrants that have shaped our country and our football, they possess the same courage and determination to build a better life. Yes, that's not from union activists, as you might have imagined, but Socceroo players who wanted to say their piece before heading off to play. And they're setting the scene for what some believe will be probably the most controversial cup in the history of the world soccer body, FIFA. If the Qataris were looking to win the hearts and minds of football fans and the rest of the world, it's not clear this has been the soft power success they were hoping for. Dr James Dorsey has a keen interest in the intersection of sport and politics. He's a senior fellow at the Rajaratnam School of Studies uh, in Singapore and the author of an ever-interesting blog, The Turbulent World of Middle East Soccer. James Dorsey, welcome. It's a pleasure to be back with you, Geraldine. Why is this the most controversial tournament, arguably, in FIFA's history? And frankly, in some ways, people believe it virtually brought down FIFA as we knew it when the uh, tournament was announced, the winner was announced in 2010. I think there are multiple reasons for it. One is it upset the European football apple cart because of climate. And therefore, the games are being played in the winter. Now, the Europeans had 12 years to prepare for the timing of this uh, World Cup. So Because the summer's really, just too hot in Qatar. Because the summers are just too hot, indeed. So there's really little reason to have um, empathy with the uh, Europeans on this. Now, there were other reasons. There were sour grapes. Qatar spent a lot more money on its bid and uh, on its stadia than other countries did. And they did that for very good reason, because this is part of their defense and security policy, not just an effort to nation brand. The third reason, which in my mind has to do with prejudice and bias. So it's first of all, it's the first tournament of this kind in the Middle East. There were all these allegations of Qatar's it's too hot, it's too small, it doesn't have a legacy. In fact, it does have a legacy. It's been winning regional tournaments in Asia and the Middle East since 1992. And who determines what's too small and too hot? But there was a lot of sour grapes involved in that and prejudice. And then the fourth reason is that Gata was in, engaged in a bitter disinformation war with the United Arab Emirates that started almost immediately when after it won the hosting rights for the World Cup. And that, of course, colored people's opinions, too, because not everybody knew what was right and what was wrong and what the source of information was. You haven't mentioned bribery. <laughs> I do recall. The, no, I haven't. No. Uh, I have The yeah. exceptional, I thought, pretty much proven cases um, by, by it, admittedly, the disappointed contenders, including us, of the, even by FIFA standards, 
the rather unusual levels of, um, uh, so we say, financial lucrativeness underway to FIFA officials? Well, I think the, the reason I didn't mention bribery is because, first of all, Qatar didn't do anything else than anybody else does, or most others do, in uh, winning FIFA games. Go back to Germany 2006. Corruption has been part of the ecosystem. There's a lot of confusion on the corruption issue. Is there any question in my mind that there was wrongdoing? None whatsoever. But there are two issues. One is what is being included in what Guthrie wrongdoing was may not have been Guthrie, but may have been the interests of the then head of the Asian Football Confederation and FIFA Executive Committee member, Mohammed bin Hammam, who was running for president against Zeplata and handed out a lot of monies of his own. So all of that got confused. But there's, again, there's no question that there was bribery. But the second issue is, if you wanted to think about this counterintuitively, maybe we owe Gutter a favor, in the sense that Gutter was in some ways in the wrong place at the wrong time when it won those hosting rights. Even though it was doing what others had done before it, this was at the time that the FIFA corruption crisis erupted and Gata contributed to mm. that eruption and ultimately whatever cleanup, you know, one can argue whether there was a real cleanup, but nonetheless, some degree of reform of, of FIFA. So you could argue that, that uh, Gata was the, the catalyst for that. I mean, it is interesting. Qatar has got this sort of multi-pronged strategy of soft power. You you very much emphasise. It's worth really thinking this through. The others being the news network Al Jazeera and Qatar Airlines, among other things. So what are they seeking to achieve in your view? I think what it's really about is relevance to the international community, empathy from the, from the international community, and obviously creation of opportunity, economic and otherwise. And the model of this is really based on the, the Iraqi invasion of Kuwait in 1990, when the Iraqis occupied the country, many Kuwaitis fled, the more conservative ones went to Saudi Arabia, the less conservative ones sat events out in the um, casino in Cairo, and the rest of the world liberated Kuwait. Qatar is a country of 300,000 people sandwiched between Iran and Saudi Arabia. It doesn't matter what weaponry it buys and how much it buys, it will not be able to defend itself in a conventional warfare. So this is the strategy. Now, with regard to the the World Cup, has it succeeded? I don't know what the answer to that question is. If the measure is Western fans, then probably not. We don't Uh, know about the ticket sales thus far? No, ticket sales are high, but the demography of this World Cup is probably going to be different. You're probably going to see far less European fans for reasons of both cost and the difficulty of the access, which is more difficult than it was in other host countries like South Africa. And of course, because uh, some fans feel strongly enough about LGBTQ issues or labor issues not to want to go there. But we don't know what the rest of the world thinks. Mm. And in some ways, it may be the rest of the World's Cup. It's at the cusp of Africa and Asia. It's the first time that it's being held in a Muslim country. You know, we're going to see large numbers of Saudis, of other Gulf Arabs. So I think it's wait and see.
Uh, how badly, in your judgment, did the Qataris miscalculate the degree of international concern and outrage over the conditions, both as physical and systemic, that particularly the South Asian migrant workers had to work in and which prompted, say, an extraordinary video such as we heard earlier? Well, I think, first of all, let's be clear about this. Qatar is not unique in this. The Middle East is not unique in this. So, you know, you have a onerous labor systems and onerous recruitment systems in Southeast Asia. Britain has some major issues with migrant labor that have come out recently, you know, regarding Kenyans, Indonesians, and others. You know, so there are aspects of this that are not uniquely Qatar. Qatar did not expect... But the degree the, of this uh, is pretty... pretty. The avalanche, the avalanche of criticism that it got. Well, how many people Two have died? Uh, sorry, but I mean, how many people have died in the building of these stadia? Who knows? Look, the figures be, that are being bounced around are absolutely incorrect. They're not based on anything. Nobody knows. Now, nobody knows partly because the death reasons are, are not always provided correctly. But the fact of the matter is, the figure of 4,000 4, first and 6,500 is an estimate that was put out by the uh, trade unions, and they had no basis for it. And if you look at the death figures that are provided by the labor supplying countries, they're far lower. What's included in, in, the, in the number that... Uh, the six and a half thousand that is bounced around is people with natural death, people in accidents. And I don't have no idea who met, how many those are. So have people died on the construction site? Absolutely. How many have died? I have no idea. Well, I mean, is there an openness? One of the suggestions is that the Qataris have been pulled into a recognition that they have to be more open. For instance, they wouldn't let any journalists, any media go in to look at the living conditions of those migrant workers. And I mean, having been in the Emirates, you, you do see things you sort of really shock you. And you know, the aftermath after death, is there any compensation for very poor relatives and so on and so forth? Now, do you think they've been changed by this? Is Look, it, has that, that been a real you, yield of it? I think there are two sides to this. One side of it is the gutteries were their worst enemies in this. They could have turned this to their advantage far more than they tried to do. And they should have done that and they didn't. Now, the other side of the coin is that they've also done something that nobody else has done in the Gulf. They've engaged with their critics rather than throwing them into prison or totally barring them from the country. They have engaged. How have they done that? In a part of the world where human rights activists, if they're local, are either behind bars or three feet under the ground, they were letting Amnesty International Human Rights Watch in. And they were sitting down with them drafting model contracts, trying to figure out how to handle this. That was, that was unprecedented. You know, the Socros say in their, in their video, there has been change. There's no, again, no doubt about it. It's the only country in the region with a minimum wage. You can argue that wage is far too little, and I would argue that. But it does set that standard. One of the problems that the Guthries have, and they don't just have it in, on labor issues, they have it across the board, which is they have a problem with implementation. They don't have the wherewithal, the bodies often to properly implement. Because there's only 300,000 there, aren't there? 
it's 300,000 citizens and the rest are, you know, one fourth. It's very, very small. So do you think it's going to be a success and then you can define what that means? Look, I think that at the end of the day, perceptions and memories of this World Cup are going to depend on how Qatar manages the tournament itself and how it manages what are probably going to be incidents. Activists who want to make a point, and this is the moment to do it, so they want to exploit the opportunity, fan rowdiness, public intoxication, possibility of incidents with LGBT. People walking down the street uh, hand in hand, and there's quite a funny story about one of the... Well, um, you can tell it if you like. Actually, that won't be a problem. That will be less of a problem. With, with one of the, the Qatari other. ministers not even understanding what the question from the journalist was and one of his aides had well, to whisper Well, there's a reason, there's a reason for that. There's a whole culture that's not just Qatari where male friends hold hands publicly. And, you know, I've done that and it has nothing to do with whatever my sexual orientation may be. On the contrary. I've, so, I've seen that you know, there are, also those, there are also those kind of issues. But what I was going to say is I think it's going to be how Gutter handles these things. The Gutteries have said that they want to be lenient. They're going to set up sobering tents for people who are drunk. They'll they'd get a warning and then just go on their way without punishment. We saw a little bit potentially of how it's going to be handled last week when you had a British activist, Peter Tatchall, hold a one-man demonstration on LGBT rights in front of the National Museum. And he was standing there with a placard. And, you know, it took the police 35 minutes to come and see what's going on. And if you look at the videos and even his own descriptions, basically they took the placard, folded it, handed it back to him, told him that he shouldn't be doing this, questioned him a little bit, and then basically left him standing on the sidewalk. He's a very experienced activist, Peter Tatchell. Sure, but the point is he wasn't detained. No, I take your point. I take your point. Thank you very much indeed for that overview and and preview. My pleasure. James Dorsey, lot to think about. And we're in Group D, Australia, with France, Tunisia and Denmark. Not an easy group. And our first match is November the 23rd, for those of you who do follow those things despite everything. We'll be back after eight. I hope you will too. News time. ABCRN helps you understand the world. Find more of our stories on the ABC Listen app.